couple of weeks ago when we started Romans, uh, we saw right off the bat that Paul uh, offers his credentials. Paul is speaking again to a, to a group that he may or may not have known, many or most of them. And, and so right off the bat, Paul deals with the question of why should I listen to you? Under what authority do you speak? And Paul makes it very clear in verse 1 that he is, he is speaking on behalf, he is speaking on behalf of the authority of another. He says, Paul, a bondservant. That, that was a, a, a way that Paul showed himself as being a slave to Christ. It means slave. Slavery in that day meant, was very different than what we know slavery to be. And, and Paul gladly identified himself as being one who was owned by another. He said he was called as an apostle. An apostle was a, was a messenger. It was somebody who spoke on behalf of another. The authority that Paul speaks with, it's not in Paul himself. It's, in behalf, it's on behalf and in the person that Paul represents. He is there representing Christ. And he, he makes it very clear in Galatians 1.15 that he believes that God set him apart to preach the gospel to the Gentiles even from before his birth. And, and what Paul is doing is very strategic because in doing that, we said that he's connecting his message with that of the Old Testament. You, you go back to Isaiah 49, you go to Jeremiah 1. Isaiah and Jeremiah both made it very clear that they had been set apart to the service of God in, in their mother's womb long before their birth. So Paul is doing something very strategic here. He, he's, he's establishing his authority. He's answering the question, why, why should I listen to you? But, but he's also, again, he's establishing common ground. Establishing common ground. Again, the common ground when we were in the Dominican with, it, it, again, even with many of the girls at Besitos, it's, it's the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul is, is explaining that common ground. And today he continues that in verses 2 through 7. He, he finishes verse 1. He says, set apart for the gospel of God. Today Paul explains in verses 2 through 7, that gospel. And it's important that we, that we understand the weight of this. We, we live in a culture, just like Paul would have, where words have meaning, and words and people use the same words, and yet they mean very, very different things by those words. Paul answers the question, when he says set apart for the gospel of God today in our passage, he's going to explain what he means by gospel of God. There, there's a lot of false religions even today. This is important even for us today. You, you go out, if you share your faith, and, and people will say, well, well, I know who Jesus is, or, or I'm trusting in Jesus. Here's the question. Explain to me your Jesus. Oh, I've trusted in the gospel. Okay, explain to me your gospel. Because we live in a world where false religions are hijacking Christian words and applying them to their own denominations or their own walks, and they mean something very, very different by the same words. And so it's very important that we understand and agree on the definitions. What do you mean, Paul, when you say gospel? Who, who are you talking about, Paul, when you say Jesus Christ? I mean, Muslims will acknowledge Jesus Christ, but they will not acknowledge the Jesus Christ that the Bible says is Jesus Christ. 
So we end up using the same word, but we're talking about two totally different people, if you will. They do not believe in the same Jesus. Mormons, they do not believe in the same Jesus that you and I believe in. It goes on and on. So what do you, this is immensely important. You say, well, you know, Chris, let's just skip through this. This is immensely important. Paul is, is explaining what he means by gospel. Let's be very clear. He says, let me tell you what I mean by gospel. And in doing so, he's establishing authority because he's going to make it very clear that this is the same gospel that existed in the Old Testament. Authority. There's nothing new. It's not a one gospel in the Old Testament and different in the New Testament. He, he explains the continuity and, and again establishes the terms. And he's going to move their hearts to understand why, why should we listen to you, Paul? Why should we do what you're going to say? And he's going to say, because of the gospel. And even this is going to be immensely important. We don't get saved by the gospel and then live by something else. There, there's a, a huge tendency, and we'll see it here in Paul, he fights this. There's a huge tendency to separate sal your salvation from how you live. For that I get saved by grace, but then what do I live by? Grace. I get saved by faith, but what do I live by? Faith. He'll get to that in Romans 1. The righteous shall live by faith. And, and even that statement, even that statement he connects to the Old Testament. He quotes Habakkuk 2.4, way back in that Old Testament. You know what Habakkuk was saying? The righteous shall live by faith. In Romans 4, you know what he's going to say about Abraham? Abraham was justified by faith. He believed God. Abraham believed God, and it was credited, not earned, credited as faith. Paul is going, great, going to great lengths here to connect this one massive story that is the gospel, that is the Bible, so that they understand the authority under which he speaks. And, and it, there's huge wisdom here. For all of us, because in, in this room, I was thinking about it this week, and, and in, in this room are, whatever, 200 people that are very different. If we looked at, if we looked at our own, if we looked at our, our lives and, 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 and our families, and we would be vastly different. In this room, there is every reason for us to be divided. And yet, here, here's what unites us, the gospel. I'm amazed every year, and this blows me away, and it's convicting to my own heart. When we get off the bus at Pasitos, and this is why I love taking our kids, because God teaches me, so much through through just the childlikeness of our of our kids they get off the bus and it takes them about 1 second to build friendships with those girls and to reunite friendships with those girls hey listen girls that look different than them girls that speak different from them girls who live very different from them listen they can't even communicate with them and yet, that quickly, they're friends. None of that stuff gets in the way. 
Our, kid, our kids simply see another girl, another young person that's their age, and they, they go after them. What does that? The gospel. The question, the question I'd, I'd say at the beginning here is, is how do you and I see one another? When, when you look to your left and your right, that person that's now sitting in your chair that you used to sit there when it was a pew, and now there's chairs, and you can sit everywhere in different places. And How do you see other people? Hey, not only within the walls of this church, how do you see your neighbors? How do you view them? The, the thing in the midst of all of, all of our differences, the, in the midst of all the reasons we have for not coming together, here's what binds us. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is, is, is recreating a people. He, he's bringing you into his, to his people, his family, the the, to, to the family of Abraham, if you will. He's bringing you in. And, and in that, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, here's the reality. You and I are brothers and sisters. You and I will spend eternity, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we will spend eternity worshiping, worshiping our King together. And that ought to start here. The camaraderie, the family, the unity... Here's where we learn how to do that in the church, in the gatherings. It's here that we learn how to deal with, where we learn forgiveness. It's here how, where we learn submission. We learn to lay down our, our, we learn to lay down our own agendas for that of other. We, we learn all of that. Where do we learn that? Here. We learn that in the body. And why? And pa Paul will answer the main question why in verse 5. Why? Obedience, that is faith, for the sake of the name. Why do we do it? For the sake of the name. Why do we do it? So that the world will have nothing bad to say about us and our Savior. That's the why. And that's the main point there in your handouts. The supreme goal behind everything we do as believers must be the glorification of Christ and the sake of His name. We, we happen to be studying um, Ezekiel this week on Wednesday nights here at Odessa. And, and Ezekiel says time and time again, everything was about the sake of the name. It's the same thing Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Sake of the name. Why do we, why do, we do what we do? The sake of the name. So that the world will have nothing bad to say about us or our Savior. And, and Paul here, in, and, and that where that is rooted is the gospel. And Paul here gives really six fundamental truths about his gospel. Again, establishing authority, helping them to understand what he means when he says gospel, that what is this gospel, Paul, that you have been set apart by God before birth to serve as an apostle, as a, as a slave. What is this gospel? And here in verses 2 through 7, Paul explains what this gospel is. And, and these are immensely important that we get straight. P people regularly say they share the gospel. 
but my fear is they're not really sharing the gospel. And Paul gives us six fundamental truths here about the gospel that, that people, believers, must know. And he, and he begins in verse, verse 1. We, we, just, to, just to highlight that again, he says, Set apart for the gospel of God. The, the origin of the gospel is God. Please grasp that. God is the source. We, we saw last week, Leon Morris said, God is the most important word of Romans. Romans is a book about God. The gospel, the Christian good news, it is the gospel of God. He is the origin. He is the author of salvation. And God has made certain that his gospel get heralded through individuals such as Paul. E even you and I, he's given us the joy of being the, the vehicle. When we get to Romans 10, he'll say, Paul will say, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. He says, how will they hear unless someone is sent? And he, he talks about a preacher there. He's, that's not me. That's all of us, by the way. The word he uses there speaks to all of us. How will, they, how will they repent and hear unless somebody goes and tells them? God in his sovereignty has given us the joy, the privilege of being a part of his work. But he's the author. And what we share, what we share in the gospel, and here, here's why it's so, we have to be so careful. There's a tendency for us to massage or to, to maybe soft sell some of the hard truths of the word. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, I did not come to you with superiority to speech or in wisdom of man. Why? He says, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of man. Where does their faith rest? In the gospel. We've got to be real careful not to massage the gospel or not to soft sell it in order to get people to believe it. There's some hard truths of the gospel. And, we gotta, it's, it's, and it's kind of like, a, I thought about this this week. You know, when you're sick and, and you take medicine, a lot of times medicine doesn't taste good. And think about this, you go and you take the medicine, if you start messing around with the formula, you start messing around with the chemical elements that comprise that pill, in order to get it to taste good, listen, you might, in playing around with it, take, a part, take away the part of that medicine that cures the disease in an effort to get it to taste good. That pill has a specific chemical formula that's meant to do a specific thing. I would argue that's the way it is with the gospel. Don't mess with it. Preach it. Because the origin is God, and God has authored the gospel exactly the way he wants it to be offered. Christianity, listen, Christianity is not, a, it's not one religion. It's not a way. It's the way. The Christianity, this Bible, is not man attempting to figure out what, can we, what do we think God is like, what do, we, what do we perceive God to be like? No, the Bible is God telling you and I exactly what He's like. He's revealing Himself. We're not speculating. We're not dreaming up. We're not thinking of, well, if I, if I was God, this is the way I would be. Well, too bad. The Bible is God revealing Himself. And He did that through Jesus Christ. See John 1. And the message of Christianity is the gospel as God has authored it to be. You see it on your handout. The gospel is God's news for a sinful and lost world and how they can be reconciled to God and forgiven of their sin. 
God has made, has made a way for sinful humanity to be reconciled back to himself. He is recreating you, if you will. And God is the origin. It's his doing. God is the one who is making a way for humanity to be redeemed back to their creator. God is the one doing this. And, he, and Paul clearly says that in one, set apart for the gospel of God. This is God's doing. But in verse 2, he makes another point about the gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The second point you need to see about the gospel is this, that all of Scripture attests to the truthfulness of the gospel. All of Scripture attests to the, tr attests to the truthfulness of the gospel. You, you see there, your handout there, the fill-in. Not only was Paul set apart long before his actual ministry began, not only was his role rooted in the authority of the Old Testament, but Paul makes it clear that the gospel was rooted in the Old Testament. Both Paul's ministry and the gospel were planned long before. You go to, you go to Galatians 4.4, it says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. This is not something where God re reacted to what had happened and had to create something new. And, oh, no, they did this. Oh, no, it was authored long ago. Go to Ephesians 1. It says, before the creation of the world. Paul is making it very clear that this, this gospel, again, there's continuity between the Old Testament and the New. Not one gospel in the Old Testament and another in the New. Not one God in the Old Testament and another God, a different God in the New. The gospel was promised in the Old Testament fulfilled in Christ, and that's what we have recorded in the New Testament. And that's a huge point of Romans. The idea of fulfillment of promise. The, the idea of the faithfulness of God. The idea of grounding the gospel of, through Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Not, not only here, but even at the end of Romans. If you were to go over to Romans 16, verse 26, these are like bookends. Paul says, but now, he, he says, starting in verse 25, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. At the beginning of this book and at the end of this book, Paul is saying the same thing. One gospel, all nations, that leads to the obedience of faith. What, what Israel longed to see has arrived. The Messiah has arrived. And the point Paul is making is that God can be trusted. No matter how long it takes, God can be trusted. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says the, he says the same thing. Listen to what he says. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Do, you know what he's saying is don't, think, don't take God's patience wrongly. God is faithful no matter how long it takes. God is faithful to the end. And the Scriptures attest to this. Everything here, he, again, he's grounding his authority, he's grounding his gospel in the Old Testament, that Paul's gospel that he preaches is a fulfillment of the Old Testament story. It's what we looked at in December in our Christmas series. And you see it on your handout. Scripture is completely about the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
and its source is God. God is the source, not Paul. Old Testament, New Testament. That's what Paul is, is explaining. And, and this is immensely important to Paul. We'll get to Romans 3 eventually, but in, in Romans 3, the Jews were having a hard time understanding that. How then is God faithful? And in chapter 3, Paul explains that. But, and here's what he says. If some do not believe, verse 3, their unbelief does not nullify the faithfulness of God. Will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. What's Paul saying? The faithfulness of God is a huge point of Romans. And, and the Jewish people were having a hard time with that. And, and the idea here that, that all peoples, all nations, not, not, you know, that's good for that nation and good for that nation, all peoples, all nations, one gospel. And what the Old Testament looked forward to, what the Old Testament promised, has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Christ. That's his point. And, what he, and you see it there in your handout. God doesn't forget. Here's the point. God doesn't forget his promises no matter how long it takes to fulfill them. He does not forget his promises. He's faithful. That is a major theme of Romans. And, and that, that ought to speak huge blessings to our life. Some of us are waiting. Some of us have been waiting on God to do something for a long time. Here's stay faithful. Stay faithful. 2 Corinthians one twenty says, For as many as are the promises of God in Christ Jesus, they are yes. If God promised it, He will fulfill it. Stay faithful. And, and again, what Paul is saying is he's using this to establish that fact. And, and, and the, the beauty is this. If we looked, as, as you, if you scanned Romans and you looked at every quote, every reference of the Old Testament that is found in Romans, Here, here's what you would discover, that Paul uses Romans to show, to show that the gospel was foreshadowed all throughout the Old Testament. And, and listen to what he quotes from Genesis. He quotes from Genesis. He quotes from Deuteronomy. He quotes from Psalms. He quotes from Isaiah. He quotes from Ezekiel. He quotes from Hosea. He quotes from Joel. He quotes from Habakkuk. What's he saying? Same gospel. Same gospel. This is the law and the prophets that Paul says, look, the law and the prophets testify. We, we saw it in Colossians 1.12, that they searched the scriptures. Who's the fulfillment of this prophecy? What's Paul saying? It's Jesus Christ. That's why I love that song that Daniel sang this morning. We have found our hope. We have found our peace. We have found our rest. Look, we don't need to look any further. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And again, Paul is not only establishing his gospel, but he's establishing his authority and the authenticity of his gospel by showing that it's rooted in the Old Testament. And, and this is hugely important. Why Scripture? Why is the Old Testament, why is the New Testament so important to us? Why? Because it's about Christ. All of them point to Christ. Why, why should we listen to you, Paul? Because the Scriptures testify. And Paul grounds his authority in the Scriptures. Even in, in 1 Corinthians 15, I love the way Paul does this. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, he says, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, 
Listen, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, listen, according to the Scriptures. The Scriptures. It wasn't an overreaction. It wasn't a reaction. This is planned for all eternity. The Scriptures. The Scriptures testify. Again, he says, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You see what Paul is doing with his gospel? He's saying this, this gospel, this is the authoritative one true gospel that I come to you presenting. And the Scriptures bear, bear witness to this. And you see it on your handout. The gospel, what we need to understand is that the gospel is functionally equivalent to Christ in the Scriptures. It's, again, it's one big story. It's the story of the gospel. It's the story of God reconciling a sinful world back to Himself, making a way for that reconciliation to happen in a way, as we'll see in Romans 3.26, so that God will be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ. How can a holy, righteous God forgive sinful humanity when the law says their sin demands death? How does that happen? Christ will die in your place. That God would put all of us, Romans 5, He would wrap all of us in, in Adam. And then He would send Jesus Christ to die for all those who were in Adam. And what we'll see in Romans 5 is just as sin entered through one man, so righteousness now has entered in through one man. It's a fulfillment of Scripture. It's connecting the Old Testament and the New Testament story. When we share the gospel, we've got to be careful that we do that the same. So that they understand, as we'll see in a minute, why Jesus? Why then? Why at that specific time? Because God ordained that. One gospel through Jesus Christ. And what Paul will say in Romans 7 is that Jesus is the Son of Man in Daniel 7. Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And the goal in all of this is, is again, he's setting aside any claim, any calming any suspicion or any questions about his gospel. Why should we listen to you, Paul? Because my gospel is true. God is the origin. Scriptures testify to the gospel, but also, thirdly, the substance of the gospel is Christ. Look at verses 3 and 4. Concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, Paul starts to drill down here, real care. And this is again, who was Jesus Christ? That is a hugely divisive turning point in when people say they're presenting the gospel or they are followers of Jesus Christ. Who is your Jesus? Describe to me what you mean by Jesus. Because not every religion out there who claims the name of Jesus believes this Jesus. Doesn't believe this Jesus. Doesn't believe Jesus born of a virgin. Jesus, totally God, totally man. Jesus who would die on a cross. Jesus who three days later would be resurrected. Not everybody believes that Jesus. They'll use the name Jesus. You'll hear them speak of Jesus. 
But they don't believe that Jesus. They don't believe the biblical Jesus. And Paul drills down here in 3 and 4 to make sure, again, the focal point of the gospel is the Son. The Son. And Jesus stands in a very unique relationship to God. And, and you see it on your hand, the good news of the gospel centers on Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus himself said this. Who do the people say that I am? And then he looks at his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? That, that's a key question. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? And again, verse 9 of, of chapter 1, we'll get there next week, Lord willing, but get, for God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son. The, Luther said this, the, the, everything in the scriptures must be understood in relation to Jesus Christ. Calvin said this, to move even a step away from Christ means to withdraw oneself from the gospel. Immensely important. Who is Jesus? And, and Paul here describes this Jesus with two contrasting clauses, really, if you will. He speaks to Jesus' birth, and he speaks to his death. And what he says in verse 3, concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. Why does that matter? Because Scripture said the Messiah would be of the line of David. If you go back to Jeremiah chapter 23, again, this is why knowing the Old Testament, it validates who Jesus is. In Jeremiah 23 verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In Isaiah 11, verse 10, he also speaks to the coming of Messiah would be of the line of David. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for all the peoples and his resting place will be glorious. Why, why is Paul mentioned David? Because that was the qualification of the Messiah. Why, why in Matthew? Why in Luke? Why are those genealogies so important? Because that was the qualifications that the Messiah had to bear in order to be the Messiah. He was from the line of David. Absolute necessary qualification of Messiah. You can go to Isaiah 7, you can go to Isaiah 9, you can go to Micah 5. All of the facts surrounding who Jesus was, his lineage, his birthplace, all of that had to be so. Why? Because God is telling you, this is the Messiah. This is him. Look for no other. This is the promised king. But not only his birth... His death and resurrection were a fulfillment of the promised Messiah. Again, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. By his wounds, you can go all the way back to Genesis 3.15 and see that the Messiah would be wounded. The curse, the curse in Genesis 3.15 where he said, Satan, you will bruise, I'm going to raise up a son from this woman and you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Again, the, 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 the Messiah would suffer, but it would be a victorious suffering. And again, the resurrection, 
That's where you can be traveling down a road talking about Jesus. You're talking about a resurrection and the roads diverge when it comes to other denominations, other religions. Did Jesus die? They say no. We say yes. Three days later, was he resurrected? Well, if he didn't die, then he wasn't resurrected. You know what we have the audacity to say in? That he was died, he was buried, and three days later he was resurrected. Hard truth. And I, and I challenge you, I challenge you to this, that, that that's a different gospel than just going up to somebody and saying, do you want to go to heaven? Pray this prayer. That's not the gospel. There, there's elements that they need to understand. Who is this Jesus? Why Jesus? Because he alone fits all the qualifications of the Messiah. He is the promised one that God promised long ago, and for all of his promises were fulfilled in Christ. That's huge. We saw that again in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. The prophets, they searched and searched and searched. Who is this one that will fulfill the promises? And Paul is saying it's Christ. It's Christ. And you see it on your handout. Jesus always existed as son eternally, even before the events that we know of. And that's huge. He is eternal. Even here, great divergence occurs as far as who is this Jesus. Many other false religions out there will tell you they believe in Jesus, but they do not believe in a Jesus that is equal to the Father. See John 5. John 5, 18, why did they kill Jesus? Because he was making himself equal to the Father. John 5, 18, John 5, 23, people come knocking on your door and they want to tell you about a Jesus, but it's a Jesus that is not equal to the Father. Go to John 5, verse 18 and verse 23. Why did Jesus die? Why did they kill him? Because he had the arrogance, the audacity to say, I am equal to the Father. Why, how could he say that? Because Colossians 2.9 says, In Jesus the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. Fully human, fully God. That's our gospel. Does that challenge our thinking? It challenges our minds. Yes. Can it be a stumbling block? Yeah. Yet is it real? Yes. That's it. That's the gospel. And, and through Jesus' atoning work, Jesus, again, has been appointed, if you will, the Son of God and Son of Man. And Paul, Philipp, Paul speaks to this in Philippians. L listen in Philippians 2.6, and all of this is attached to his death, burial, and resurrection. Who, although, verse 6 of Philippians 2, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He humbled himself. He, that word there means he took on flesh. Take, there it says that. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How? Through his atoning work. 
through Jesus taking on flesh. Why? So that he could die a substitutionary death for God's creation, who had rebelled, who had sinned. Because the wages of sin, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. If God was going to forgive, if God was going to reconcile himself, a holy God, to a sinful humanity, somebody had to die. And God, Jesus' flesh, fully God, took on humanity. Why? So that not only he could die, but so that his death could be a substitution for the whole world. And we see that in 1 John. He's the propitiation, it says in 1 John 2, 1, not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. The, the penalty has been paid. We, we apply that to our lives through faith. Through faith. Through faith, we identify, I'm a sinner deserving of death. Through faith, we say, but I, 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 by faith, I'm trusting that Jesus Christ was my substitute, that I don't have to work to get to God, I don't have to earn it, I don't have to be good enough that Jesus was perfect. Faith. And in that, we are resting in Him. We are resting in Christ, that His work was completely sufficient. And, and Paul makes it very clear, his gospel includes not only the life of Christ taking on flesh according to the lineage of David, it's the resurrection. As such, Jesus, again, he is able to save all those who draw near to him. Fully God, fully man. At the perfect time, God sent forth his son to die. To, to, to pay the ransom. Matthew 20, 28. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. Substitution. He died in our place. And as such, as such, perfectly obedient Jesus, Jesus is the true Son of God. And you see that in Galatians 3.16. This is huge. Galatians 3, verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed. Listen to what he says. That is Christ. Even, even the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise, the Abrahamic covenant, Christ. Through your seed, through your family, all the nations will be blessed. Who is that seed? It's Jesus. Jesus. And all the promises of God, they have become a reality to believers through Jesus Christ, the true Israel, the Messiah, the perfect Son. And you see it on your handout. Here are the implications. As a result, membership in the people of God depends on being rightly related to Jesus, not a particular ethnicity. And that's a huge point of Romans as well. These Gentiles, these non-Jews, are now fully a part of the people of God. How? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. Born of the seed of David, royal lineage, the rightful, rightful line of the throne, he has been exalted through his death, burial, and resurrection to reign over all peoples, all nations. He is the Lord 
over all. And the resurrection, again, the resurrection, why is that so important? Because it validated that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice. That God accepted His offering for our sin. And God raised Him from the dead. Again, you see that. He was declared proof for all the world. This is my Son. This is the one who, who you waited on all these years. It's Jesus. And the resurrection validated that. It proved that. And the true gospel cannot be understood without reference to the fullness, both the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ, both the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the substance. But, but the scope, look at verse 5. The scope of the gospel is all the nations. Through whom, he says, Paul says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Paul had a specific task to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And it's interesting here, and you see it in a handout, the emphasis again on the gracious source and nature of Paul's ministry. We have received grace and apostleship. Literally there, you could read that gracious apostleship. You say, well, why does it matter? Well, because Paul connects his position and his ministry to the grace of God, not anything of himself. His ministry was sourced and fueled in Jesus Christ. Paul does not disconnect. Paul connects his salvation to his function. He connects his salvation to his ministry. And I think that's important for you and I. Do not disconnect your salvation from how you are to live every day of your life. Do not disconnect your salvation to the point of why you have been saved to seek and save the lost. That's the point Paul is making in his own life. And, and do not connect who you are in Christ from grace. Grace is a huge topic of Romans. If, if we do not understand grace, we will have a hard time understanding later on some of the stuff that we're going to read in Romans. And, and, and researchers say that the word grace is used over 155 times in the New Testament. Interestingly enough, a hundred of those uses are by Paul. 25 of, the, of his 100 uses, so almost a quarter, I think it's 24, but almost a quarter of his uses of the word grace appear in this book, Romans. What is a huge theme of Romans? Say it out loud. Grace. Grace. Paul is going to go to great lengths. When, when you're studying the Bible, and, and that word, just like we said, one of the huge themes of Romans is God, that whatever it is, every nine or ten verses, more than every other book, except for two little short ones, the word God appears. This is a book about God. But this is a book about grace. And you see it on your handout. We will never grasp Romans if we don't first grasp the grace of God. Grace is at the heart of the gospel. And, and Paul, this gets to the very core of our being. And, and, and I would ask you this question, and, and this can be an uncomfortable question, but, but I, I would ask you to be honest with yourselves. Why were you saved? Don't, don't yell it out loud. Don't, don't say it out loud. Just think about this. Think about this for a second. And hold that thought. Why did God save you? Did God save you for your glory or for His glory? His glory. Did God save you for your purposes or 
to do his purposes. His purposes. Did God save you to make much of yourself or did God save you to make much of God? To make much of God. And just like Paul, we cannot disconnect our salvation from our discipleship and the function or purpose for which we were saved. And it's to advance the kingdom. We have been saved to make much of God, to do His bidding, to extend His kingdom to all the nations. We, we, we were to be His representatives, if you will. Again, even there, even there, see this coming full circle, that God is recreating us for what he originally created us. You go back to Genesis 1, he, he's, you're created in his image. You were created to be his representatives. That where you go, you would reflect him. That's what we have the privilege of doing as recreated, saved people. And, and again, you can't isolate, you see it on handout, you can't isolate the grace that we have been saved by and the grace that we're to live by. You can't compartmentalize grace for salvation, but not grace for the rest of your life. You can't separate saving grace from equipping grace that we will live the re- and function as God intends. It's all-encompassing. Conversion and purpose, they went hand-in-hand hand for Paul. Why was he saved? To be an apostle to the Gentiles, to the glory of God. Why were you saved? To speak the truth of the gospel to a lost world, to be his representatives. And everything about that was sourced in grace, but it was fueled by grace. And again, the gospel was everything. We'll get to Romans chapter 12, and and, and a huge hinge there, but in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, listen to what he says. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he has ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Who's the hero of your salvation? God. Grace. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Even in, even in Romans 12, verse 6, he, he continues that same thought. He goes on to say, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And he goes on to explain them. In, in chapter 15, verses 15 and 16, he says, But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ, Jesus, to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering to the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Grace. Not only grace that saves, it's God's grace that enables me to serve. And and we can't disconnect the two. Paul will deal with this strongly in chapter 6. We've not been saved so that we can go serve sin and, and be enslaved to sin. He says, enslave yourself to righteousness, all-fueled grace, understanding grace. Again, grace is not God looking at us, and this is where it can be challenging to us, and we'll get into it in Romans 9 heavily. Grace is not God looking at us and responding with something we deserve. Grace isn't even looking at us and saying, you know what, I, could, I really need someone like Chris on my team, so I'm going to save him. That's not grace. 
God saves me and he equips me, not because of me, for his glory. Totally by grace through faith. In Romans 4, with, with regards to Abraham, he'll deal with this. In chapter 4, verse 4, the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as to what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. John Piper, John Piper I was reading a, a, a bunch of things this week, and John Piper said this, God's grace is never owed. Think about that. And Paul's going to deal with that strongly because he's going to talk about Jacob and Esau in chapter 9. The first thing he's going to say in dealing with that is this. You going to find injustice with God? The answer is no. Why? Because God will have mercy on whomever he wants to have mercy on. Because grace is never owed. And that's, good. that's challenging. That's challenging to us. But if we don't grasp grace, if we think God was smart to save us or wise to save us, or if we think, oh, he needed to save us because I bring something huge to the table, that totally changes how you respond to the gospel. It totally changes how you live your life as an overflow of the gospel. Instead of us being graced by God, God is instead graced by us. And, and unfortunately, believers, some believers, they live like that, like God's lucky to have them on his team. And grace has been extended in the gospel, he says, to all peoples, all nations, to all the Gentiles. And again, you see it on your handout, this captures another major theme of Romans, the inclusion of the Gentiles into the people of God on the same terms as the Jewish people. That's a big deal in Romans. All nations. And even that was a fulfillment of the Old Testament, Genesis 12. That through Abraham's seed, all nations would be blessed. And fifthly, the fifth aspect here we got to get going. The purpose of the gospel is the obedience of faith. Obedience of faith. You see that. To bring about the obedience of faith. Again, connecting salvation with how you live. Faith. And the goal, you see it on your hand now, the goal of Paul's ministry and the progress of the gospel was not just salvation, but obedience that flows from faith. You're saved by faith, you live by faith. Faith. And, and again, he'll, he'll go on in verse 8 to say that their obedience is being proclaimed, their faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. You see the reputation that obedience brings? I, I, I thought about this, what are we known for? But that's, that's why we're calling this transformation, the grace that saves, you see it in your handout, is the grace that transforms and unites. Where is our unity? In grace. It's in the gospel. Paul wasn't content with people just raising their hands. It, it's submitting your entire life to the Lordship of Christ. That's transformation. That's sanctification. And that's the, that's the, 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 the word koinonia throughout the Bible. It, it means fellowship. It means sharing. That's, that's the koinonia. That's the fellowship that you and I share. And it's a costly koinonia. 
And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a fellowship that, that never, that, it's, a, it's a fellowship, but it's also a pursuit in, in tr- conforming our lives that never ends. No matter where you are, I, I think we would admit no matter where we are in Christ, no matter how long we've followed him, there's, there's another area of our life that we can continue to yield to the lordship of Christ, right? There's always, there's always further. We were studying Philippians this week in a Bible study that I'm a part of on Thursdays, and, and, and Paul if you've not read Philemon, I said Philippians, I said meant Philemon, if I did. But Paul writes to Philemon, and Onesimus has, has, was a slave of Philemon's, and he, he fled. And, and, and in God's sovereignty, he runs into Paul and becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. And Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon. And it's interesting, Paul, Paul begs Philemon, do not receive him back as a slave, receive him back as a brother. Philemon is a leader of a church in that area. He probably houses a church. He's probably known for, for, for godliness. And Paul says, continue to press harder and do even the harder thing. Forgive, forgive Onesimus. It's very possible, you look at verse 18 there, it's very possible that Onesimus stole from Philemon. It's very possible that Onesimus uh, caused Philemon to incur some financial Misgivings. And here's what, I, here's, what, here's what I love about Philemon, one of the verses. Paul says this. Philemon. Take Onesimus back. And you know what? If he owes you anything, Paul says, charge it to my account. Think about that. Think about that. What do you think the world would take notice of if we lived like that? If we didn't hold debts against each other, if we looked for ways to forgive debts, even if it meant doing the hard thing. And again, think about this was a hard, this was a big deal. And Paul says, you know what, Philemon? If anything's owed, charge it to my account. Here's the beauty of what Paul's saying. Is that not exactly what Jesus Christ has done for those of us who are believers? That sin debt that Chris owes, charge it to my account. What do you think the world would think if we, if we, if we, if we lived like Acts 2 where they held everything loosely? Looked out for one another. That they looked for ways to forgive each other. That they, you know, you go to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. They, they begged Paul to participate in the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom. Even to their own financial hurt. It says out of their poverty, they begged Paul to partner. That, that's what happens when we really understand grace. Because if we're honest, if we're honest, I'm speaking to myself. It's hard, to not, it's hard to not think more highly of myself than I ought to think sometimes. It's hard for me to constantly, constantly, constantly grasp grace. Because if we're honest, we live, our natural inclination is the law. You serve me, I serve you. If I think there's something that, that, that I can get out of you later, I'll be quick to serve you. But if I think you're good for nothing towards me and my agenda... 
We're, we're quick to not. And, and, and be honest. I really believe that's why in James 1, pure and undefiled religion is visiting widows and orphans in their distress. Why? Because that's sacrificial mercy. You and I, if we're honest, we are really good at giving selfish mercy, meaning I'm really good at giving mercy that I think it can come back to me at some point. And God gives sacrificial mercy. That's grace. And that's the fellowship, that's the koinonia that the gospel provides. That's what Paul is challenging us. I mean, we're going to get to Romans 14, and Paul is going to say, are you seriously going to destroy over food him for whom Christ died? You're going to make that big of a deal about your rights and about your, your, your ideas of food, and you're going to destroy your brother or sister for whom Christ died. Is that, is that the way that he's... And I, I take that in my mind. He's saying, is that, how this, is that, is that what we're going to be known for? Is that what it's going to be like? That's, that's the people we're going to be. It's, it's a failure to really grasp the gospel and the grace of God. And it's, the gra- it's God's grace that transforms, but it also unites. Listen, all of us were beggars. All of us were saved by the grace of God. Level playing field. That's why, again, the cross is the great humiliator. I brought nothing to the table but sin. My resume, when I get to the gates to enter into heaven, here's what he's going to say. Jesus Christ. But that's the same. If you're a brother and sister in Christ, that's, that's, the, that's what unites us. It's that grace. I mean, think about in this body what brings unity. Everybody striving towards one goal, namely making much of the, the name of Christ, or all of us living for ourselves and our own goals? That, the gospel is what unites us. The gospel is what transforms us. Laying down, laying down. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and 10, all things are lawful, but you know what? That's not, how, that's not the mindset we have. All things are lawful? Yeah, maybe. But you know what? Not all things are profitable. Can I do that? Maybe. What, but think about this. What if we as a people said, you know, didn't think that way. What if we said, you know, should I do that? In light of the gospel. In light of the implications that I might have on my Savior and the, the implications that I might have on unity and the implications that I might destroy the unity in the body, the body of Christ. And, and that might give the enemy something negative to say about us. And that might bring me way too, you know, I think about Ephesians 5 it says, Let no immorality and purity even be named among you as is proper with saints. Is it profitable? Again, going back to the gospel. Going back to understanding that we've been grafted into the people and the body of God. And you see it on your handout. Fix your eyes. What Paul is saying is fix your eyes on the grace of God and everything through faith that leads to obedience. To bring about the obedience of faith. You were not simply saved to have your sins forgiven. You were saved to represent your king. You were saved to further the administration of your king. Sixthly, real quick, the goal of the gospel is the honor of the name of Christ. For his name's sake, he says. 
to all among whom are all the called of Jesus Christ. Paul brings, again, not only was he called, he brings all the believers into that called status. To all who are beloved in God in Rome, called again. You see it there again as saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The, you see it on your hand now. The ultimate reason behind everything Paul did was not the salvation of the Gentiles, but the proclamation of the name of Christ. Their salvation came underneath the primary goal of making much of the name of Christ. And even that can be a difficult statement for us to grasp. You mean I wasn't supreme? I mean you weren't supreme. Why did God forgive the sins of Chris Basham? Because it makes much of the name of God that he would forgive his enemy at the cost of his own son. I'll close with this. John Stott says this, and there's other stuff here we could say, but we're running out of time. John Stott said this, I read this week. If, therefore, God desires every knee to bow to Jesus and every tongue to confess Him, so should we. We should be jealous for the honor of His name. Listen to this. Troubled when it remains unknown. Hurt when it is ignored. And listen to this. Indignant when it is blasphemed. And all the time anxious and determined that it shall be given the honor and the glory which are due it. How do you respond to the name of the Lord? How do you respond when people use it in vain? The highest of all missionary motives, listen, is neither obedience to the Great Commission, as important as that is, nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, as strong as that is, but rather zeal, Burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, in, in 3 John 7, it says the early missionaries went out. Why? For the sake of the name. I, I pray that what would unite us is the gospel. That, that we would be about making much of the name of Him who has made much of us through saving us. That we'd be a people who were willing to lay whatever it was down for the glory of God, for the unity of the body, to make much of the name. And you see it there in your handout, may God's glory and the hope of our salvation be our true exaltation. I, I pray that we as a body would exist for the glory of Christ through the advancement of the gospel no matter what it costs. I pray it, laying down rights, freedoms, privileges, whatever it is that may be bringing disunity because God's name is greater. Amen?